If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Okay, we're going to start with a question. How many people would you guess have taken an at-home DNA test? You ready? Okay, what's the number? Er, you're wrong. Uh, according to some reports, the numbers estimate to be in the range of a whopping 26 million people. So many people are fascinated by DNA because the past can be alluring. It's mysterious. It can hold good memories, bad memories, and sometimes regret. It can hide secrets and surprises, things you may not want to know, and others you maybe want to forget. And now more than ever, it appears through at-home DNA testing that you hold the keys to uncovering those mysteries or leaving them behind, never to be seen or known. Or do you? From Commando.com, this is Commando On Demand, where we speak with industry movers and shakers, and we really strive to keep you up to date on everything digital. You can download new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. And by the end of this episode, you're going to learn about how people are opting to uncover their secrets of their past. I mean, think about this. More than 26 million people have taken an at-home DNA test. That, my friends, is a lot of people. Now, based on those numbers, it seems curiosity kills the cat more often than not. And sometimes letting the cat out of the bag isn't the best thing in the world. I mean, it's not all uncommon for these DNA tests to reveal things that... Well, you might not want to know. For others, it's not so bad. But how accurate are the results? And are they really based truly on science, as some of the marketing materials claim? So we're going to explore how these DNA tests work, and we're going to look into situations that went well and also not so well for the participants involved. We're going to get started in just a moment, so hang tight, because first we have to recognize our partners who help make these Commando On Demand podcasts possible. When you're hiring, you don't want to waste time sorting through dozens of irrelevant resumes. You want an efficient way to get to a short list of qualified candidates. You need Indeed.com. Post a job in minutes. Set up screener questions based on your job requirements. Then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. Discover why 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Search for greatness. Search Indeed. My name is Lindsay Grove. I am a senior product specialist at 23andMe. Okay, this sounds interesting, you think to yourself, ordering an at-home DNA kit. Maybe you gave one to a family member for Christmas, or maybe you got one from your parents or grandparents or someone related to you who just couldn't help themselves. All right, you're human. I'm human. We naturally want to know about our past. It's knowledge that can change how we perceive today and, in turn, redirect our paths moving forward into the future. Of course, for a price, you can allegedly buy indisputable answers to emotive questions. But one Canadian professor of law at the University of Alberta told CBC News, these tests can be misleading, and that's what got my attention. I think it's misleading. These companies are really trying to push the idea that this is scientific, right? 
they are using scientific language and they present it in a way that looks very sciencey mm-hmm. and precise. Caulfield says what people are really buying is entertainment. I think it's recreational science. They can have a little bit of fun with this stuff. Don't take it too seriously. But know that you are just getting some information that is an approximation of how your DNA compares to other people. It's not tracing back your heritage. Now, there are all sorts of sites you can complete these tests, from Ancestry.com to MyHeritage to Family Tree DNA and 23andMe. It's clear the market for testing is just booming. And yes, we have some interesting stories to share with you regarding how these tests have impacted lives all around the world, including the story of a woman looking for her birth mother and being found by her cousin. But first, let's speak with an expert so we can go into this podcast with the right frame of mind. Now, there are all sorts of websites where you can complete these tests. Since 23andMe is a huge DNA testing site, I thought we'd start there. We need to get an understanding of how the products work. So we reached out to senior product specialist, Lindsay Grobe, who's been with 23andMe for the last four years. So a lot of people are doing these 23andMe and tests, and they're super excited because they're finding like lost relatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely does happen. I had a friend of mine who... Well, he discovered that his father wasn't his father, so it wasn't this happy story. But on the same note, he uh, he actually found all his branches of cousins that he didn't know. And so how many people have uh, gone through the DNA tests? At this time, we um, we have over 5 million customers. So there's a lot of opportunities to find, you know, unexpected relatives that you didn't know before or learn more about that kind of information about your family. And what are the most surprising stories that you've heard? My favorite stories are always people who are really looking for this information. For example, adopted individuals who are able to find family members and actually communicate with them, connect with them, and even meet them. Those are always my favorite stories. Um, also, just learning more about their health. Um, we, ha- you know, we have different health reports, so they can learn both about their family, their health, and just get a much better picture of, of who they are. And are the health reports accurate? Talk a little bit about that. Yes, definitely. So um, we offer a wide variety of health reports. We have trait reports. We have um, carrier status reports. And basically, we've proven um, through the FDA review process to accurate, like our ability basically to accurately call and find these variants with 99% accuracy. Are these DNA mutations that you're finding? So these are specific variants. We're a genotyping service, so we look for areas in the genome that differ between individuals. So each of our reports look at specific variants um, on the genome um, in your DNA to help provide you with interpreted results. Um, I'd like to ask your opinion on this. A January report from CBC News came to a conclusion that maybe some of these at-home DNA tests are misleading, meaning that they're not as scientific as they appear um, that it could be an educated guess. Is is that an accurate conclusion? So our tests are scientifically valid. Um, the reports that we provide are based on your results, um, based on the different variants that we test for in each report. We're not a sequencing service, so we don't test for every single variant that's associated with a specific condition, for example. Um, but we do make that very clear in each report that um, – basically what variants we're testing for, how many variants maybe are associated with different health conditions, um, and what that could mean. 
So if somebody signs up for 23andMe, they spit in a vial. I've never done it. So is that what happens? They spit in a vial, they send it off. What happens after that? So when you order the test um, or you purchase it from a retail store, you first register it to a 23andMe account and spit. Yeah, you provide your saliva sample, (laughs) (laughs) which is about two milliliters worth of saliva. Then you return that back to the laboratory where they analyze the results. So it basically goes through a whole slew of different tests, and we make sure that we have different accuracy tests, basically, um, to make sure that the results are accurate, genotyped correctly. And then what we do is interpret those results into your account, um, and we provide those results to you. Now, I read that when people are getting their results back, that you have a team of customer service reps who are now being trained to handle some of these questions. Is that true? Yes, we have um, our customer care team um, is really well trained on on helping customers to understand the results that are that they're seeing in their account and to answer any questions that come up after viewing those results. Because people are surprised and they're like, wait, how can that be? Of course, we get a lot of a lot of customers that really want to talk through those reports and and just ask clarifying questions to make sure what they're reading, they understand. And our customer care team is excellent at helping them answer those questions. What's the average call length? That's a good question. Because I'm just saying like, you know, because we have folks that, you know, have questions about the show or about Kim's Club, you know, that whole thing in our shop. And, you know, and, and when I look at their call times, it's always like, you know, sometimes three minutes, sometimes 10 minutes. And I would imagine that your customer service call time would be pretty long if somebody's trying to figure all this out. We, of course, have shorter calls, you know, that really don't require too much time. Um, But we also have, like you said, much longer calls that, you know, the customer is really, you know, asking a lot of questions, getting a lot of their um, maybe confusion answered and clarified. So it really does range. We can have pretty long calls. um, as well. So I don't, I don't know what a good average would be. Um, it really depends on the situation. Okay, Lindsay, we have so much more to get into, as well as I have to tell you the story of one woman who was adopted. And for many, many years, she was on the lookout for her biological mother. Well, through these DNA tests, she was actually found by her cousin. I'm going to tell you more about that. And later on, we're going to speak to a guy who has a really interesting job title. Are you ready? He's a forensic toxicologist who says there are some very important issues regarding DNA testing that apparently no one is aware of. And before we get into all of that, just a quick thank you to our sponsors who help make these Commando On Demand podcasts possible. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss an opportunity to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Commando On Demand a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at invest.robinhood.com, invest.robinhood.com. All right, welcome back. We're speaking with Lindsay Groh, a senior product specialist at 23andMe, and she's answering our questions about how these at-home DNA kits actually work. 
Now, Lindsay, we've already got into how the tests work and how accurate they might be. But are there certain categories that the tests are, say, more accurate for than others? Like, for example, can you rely on the test to find the father or mother of your child? Or are those results based on approximations, too? So we are very confident in the results that we provide. In terms of finding a mother or father, it does depend on if that mother or father has also been tested by 23andMe and opted into the DNA relatives feature. But a mother and father, we the probability of us detecting that relationship from someone else who has been genotyped is about 100%. So we are very confident in our ability to detect those relationships. And then as the DNA chain goes out and out and out, I would assume that the accuracy goes down and down and down. Right. Due to random inheritance, the probability of someone sharing DNA, any amount of DNA, as the relationships get more distant, goes down. Um, so we may not you know, be able to detect more distant cousins if the amount of DNA doesn't fall within our threshold. Um, but if there is DNA shared that does meet our threshold, then we're very confident in being able to detect that. Lindsay, what do you think is the future for at-home DNA testing? Can we, obviously, it's going to become more and more accurate or will the technology change, or what do you see? Yeah, the technology is changing all the time. We make it you know, a huge point to keep our customers and our reports up to date with the latest discoveries in you know, updated technology or updated findings. Um, so it will, you know, our reports, our living analysis, they will continue to change over time as we're able to make improvements. So, you know, in terms of what it looks like in the future, um, you know, we're just hoping to continue to give our customers with access to the most information possible. Does 23andMe exchange DNA with law enforcement? No, um, we have not done that. Because we always see the stories of like catching a killer, murderer, rapist 20 years from now or 20, or I mean something, an event that happened 20 years ago rather, and DNA coming to the forefront of, you know, solving this unsolved case and then bringing the perpetrator to justice. And so, so do you get, ever get subpoenas or you just don't, you're just not in that realm? So our policy is to prohibit um, from working with law enforcement. We don't sell, um, share, lease customer information to any third parties without explicit consent. Um, over the years, we've had five inquiries in the last 12 years or so. Um, it's pretty infrequent, but we also have successfully resisted each one. Now, if somebody gives you their DNA, are they able to remove it? Is it anonymized? What happens to it afterwards? So when they, when a customer is genotyped by 23andMe, uh, their results will remain online for them to view in their account. If they would like to delete their results at any time, they're able to do so, and that removes their information from our system. So they're able to actually delete that. They wouldn't be able to get it back, obviously. Um, but while they remain a customer of 23andMe and can sign into their accounts to view their results, that information remains available to them. Okay, so if somebody does the DNA test and they find out they're from Ireland and, you know, their parents are their parents and they're like, that's cool, they can just go ahead and delete it. Because I know a lot of folks that are listening, you know, they're concerned about their privacy and they want to know that they could actually remove their DNA results if they wanted to. Yes. So every customer has the option to delete their results if they no longer wish to participate. And then even when customers are participating, we do have a lot of different options available to them in terms of protecting their privacy. So there are optional features. For example, DNA relatives is optional. It is not required to participate and customers are required to actually physically opt in in order to participate. 
So before that, if they weren't interested in participating, they would not be visible to other customers. Our research is also optional. So customers who do not opt into participating in research, that is optional so they don't have to. And none of their survey answers, if they choose to answer them, would be used in research if they are not opted in. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. And this is so amazing to all of us. We have so many stories out there of how these tests have impacted people's lives. For example... On our recent National Kim Commando radio show, not television show, we had an interesting caller. So, Karen, in 2016, you were looking for your family. Yes. Yes, I was, Kim. But actually, two years went by. I didn't hear anything until just last March of 2018. I got an email via Ancestry.com from a lady named Sally. She told me that she had a 98% DNA match. And in her email, she said, I don't know who you are, but I think you're my first cousin. Wow. Well, (laughs) I had been able to obtain my original birth certificate from the state of Illinois in 2012 because my adoption was over 50 years old. So I knew the name of my, my biological parents. Okay. At least my mother. Right. So Sally told me that they had passed away, unfortunately, several years ago, but I had four full sisters. Oh, my gosh. So, wait a minute. So, you went from being adopted, not having, <laughs> yes, you know, I mean, yes. or having your adoptive family, of course. Yes. Okay. But I had no siblings, you know, small family. Okay. And now, all of a sudden, you're like, you're having like a hoedown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was truly a miracle, Kim. I'll tell you. She told me, Sally told me that my biological parents had been happily married in Southern California for many years where they raised their four daughters. In fact, my biological parents had told my sisters all about me. Really? And it actually, yes, and had actually sent two of them to Chicago in the 1980s to look for me. Now, if you look around you, these stories are all over. The Daily Mail reporting recently on two strangers, each 35 years old, each living in the same city, discovering that they're sisters after taking an at-home DNA test. Now, both women took 23andMe DNA tests, and both were born just months apart in the same city of 1.6 million people 35 years ago. But they didn't even know the other person existed until they took the test. I mean, that's just crazy. It makes you wonder who or what could be hiding out there for you. And while, of course, the real intrigue, the real selling point for these tests, one forensic toxicologist tells us that there are some very important issues regarding this testing that no one's aware of. You don't want to miss this because we're going to be speaking with a top DNA scientist, Dr. Robert Bennett, and he's going to kind of open our eyes just a little bit. But first, I'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors because they help make these Commando On Demand podcasts possible. As America's digital pro and a successful business owner for over 20 years now, I know it takes the right tools to get the job done. And what's great about owning a business today is that there are so many different software programs designed specifically to save you time and money. And that's why I'm super excited to tell you about Captera. You have to check this out. At Captera.com slash Kim, you'll find over 700 specific categories of software, everything from brewery software to email marketing to yoga studio management. Do you like to check reviews of products before you decide? 
well, then peruse through over 750,000 reviews on products from real software users. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Visit Captera.com slash Kim for free today to find the tools to make an informed decision for your business. Captera.com slash Kim. Captera. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Kim. Captera. Software selection simplified. My name is Dr. Robert Bennett, and I am a DNA forensic scientist uh, located in Charleston, South Carolina. So what does a forensic toxologist and DNA scientist entail? Okay, well, the, the, the toxologist part is the study of the effects of drugs and chemicals um, and poisons on the human body. It's, it's more the toxic effect of, of substances that our bodies are exposed to uh, on the human body. Now, DNA science is all-encompassing, looking at uh, what DNA is and how it can be used, both in a variety of, uh, of uses. Uh, starts out, of course, in criminology and solving crimes and identifying decayed and decomposing bodies. Uh, but the, the use of DNA has now expanded to where we can look at um, disease potential, uh, how drugs are metabolized. We now can look at a person's DNA and predict their lifespan. Uh, we can look at current biological relationships. Uh, DNA archaeology can look at the evolution of mankind. And, of course, the most popular right now is looking at uh, one's ancestry. Which it seems like everybody wants to do now. I mean, you know, they, they spit in a tube and they send it off and they find out if they're from Norway or Nigeria, right? Uh, it, that's that's the premise. That is the premise. Um, let me ask you a question. So we have different types of DNA kits. You have the basic home DNA kits, and then you have other DNA uh, places such as Color.com. Are you familiar? Right. Are you familiar? You're familiar with Color.com. Yes. Okay. So, so what is the basic difference between a home DNA test and, say, a health-related DNA test? Well, the actual DNA testing itself is no different. The, the, the science that is used, the chemistry of DNA testing that's used, without getting into the big fancy scientific words of short, ta- short tandem repeat uh, polymerase chain reaction testing, um, the, the, the testing itself is done by um, all the different types of DNA testing laboratories. So it's not the testing itself that's a problem. That's pretty solid, the science of that is. But it's, it's how the DNA is interpreted once the DNA profile is created is where we start running into potential issues and problems and misunderstandings and even misleading information about how the DNA is interpreted. So, so explain to me, how would this affect the average person? Well, let me give you a good example. Um, with ancestry testing, which is where the explosion is, so let me throw out some numbers. 12 million. That's the estimated number of people since 2007 who have gotten consumer genetic testing performed. Another number, 7 million. That's the estimated number who in 2017 alone got consumer genetic testing. So just in the year 2017, we've had more people do ancestry testing 
than all the other years previously combined. Wow. Now, the, the testing itself is fairly recent. The, mis- the business model is very new. The genealogical testing really was only launched in around the year 2000. And today, there are only a handful of companies that provide that service. And we've seen companies advertise like Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, National Geographic has a big program. Um, but the way these companies work is they will analyze a person's DNA and create a profile. And that profile is unique to them, but also can have certain unique characteristics that are similar to other people in the planet. Okay. Now, now the way the ancestry test works is the companies have a database, and it's a database of people's DNA that have sent in their saliva or swab to the company. The company performs a DNA profile and then correlates that profile with where that person lives on the planet. So let me give you a typical example of what can occur. Um, let's say a person in New Jersey says, I want to know my heritage, my ethnic background. I'm going to send my DNA into one of these companies, and they're going to tell me exactly where I came from. So what the company will do is they'll run the DNA, create a profile, and then they'll look at that profile, and they'll compare it to their database of everybody else. And they will notice, for example, that the profile of the person from New Jersey is very similar to a lot of people living in Northern Ireland. Oh. And and from that inference, and I emphasize that word, inference, Correct. from that inference, then they will tell the person in New Jersey, hey, you're from Irish descent. Now, based on the number of people that are in Northern Ireland that match and how closely it matches, then the company can put a percentage of what uh, percentage you are that are Irish. But now here's where we run into the problem. It's relying on the fact that there are a group of people in Northern Ireland that share similarities in the person from New Jersey's DNA. However, what if that group of people that live in Northern Ireland originally came from Germany and they moved to Northern Ireland? There's no way to know. So a person could misleadingly think that they're of Irish descent, but they're actually from German descent. Uh. I say, you know what, that it makes sense. I mean, you know, if you're starting, you're starting to look at the way that the algorithms are actually uh, formulating the data and the data sets. Right. And each company has their own database of DNA profiles. And it's the size of those databases, which is the key to their specificity, i.e. specific to a location or geographical reason. The more people, or actually people's DNA, that a company has to compare your DNA with, the better the match. That's why the companies are all working diligently to increase the number of people whose genomes they have in their database. And that's especially an issue for populations outside of Europe because there is less data available for them. For example, the United States is a country of mostly all immigrants. but uh, what what uh, what people are it's we're losing the fact that humans have always been mostly nomadic. They right. travel around a lot. So it's it's that fact of the fact that humans travel a lot, and as time goes by, we do more of that. That we we can lose the accuracy of determining someone's ethnic background. So what do you think? What do you think these home DNA tests are really good for? Then 
entertainment value? Exactly. Now, let's look a little bit about what we can do to take a hard look at this, because along with the popularity of these home test kits has come, <clears throat> sorry, along with the popularity of these home test kits has come controversy of truthfulness. Now, we DNA scientists know that because none of the companies that provide this service will release their reference so it's impossible to evaluate the database for accuracy. In order for the results to be scientifically valid, the methods and the information have to be available to other scientists, so the methods can be tested to make sure that they are predictable and can be replicated and thus reliable. But these companies, they hold that DNA data very close. They do not release it because that's where their intellectual proprietary value is. So the... There's been tests done where a person would send their DNA to different companies and they would get different results depending on which company did the test. In other words, which database was used. And even full siblings, like two brothers, would get different ethnic results from the same company. Really? Yes. So the, the, the companies, they use the word, they use their semantics very carefully. The company states that they use the word inference rather than fact. So they'll say the analysis of your DNA infers that your ethnic makeup is whatever it is. Now, now Ancestry DNA, which is a big one, they, they are constantly improving their database uh, by their getting more people. And there's a big push for companies to just get more people in their database to increase their accuracy. Now, with Ancestry DNA, they did a lot of advertising, and they got a lot of people sent in their DNA, millions of people. That allowed them to update their ethnicity estimates, and they did so recently. And they sent out an announcement to people who had used their service saying, we've updated our database, and we can now give you a more accurate result of your ethnic profile. But you may have gotten an ethnic profile originally that says you're 40% Italian, but now your update says you're only 8% Italian. And the latter would be more accurate. But notice I said more accurate. I didn't say accurate, just more, more accurate. accurate. So now let me ask yes. you a question, Doctor. We have all these stories in the news. I even have a neighbor who found out that through a DNA test that his father's not his father and, and his sister is his aunt, you know, one of those type of stories. Right. Are those tests accurate for that? They are, and we're, we're, and that's the difference between looking at your DNA to determine ancestry based on a geographical location and determining a biological relationship. Now, that is very accurate. The, the science behind that, which is the same DNA that we use in criminology, is 99.99 plus percent accurate. So when those tests show that, uh, yeah, we, you sent in your DNA for an ancestry test, and here it is. But we also found out that you have DNA that is very similar to a person in another state that, based on the DNA comparison, is a biological relative of yours. And we can take it one step further to determine what that biological relationship is, whether it be brother, half-brother, mother, father, child. That in, in itself is very accurate. But here's the catch. It's only accurate with close biological relationships. 
In other words, brother, sister, mother, father, child. It's not very accurate when you're looking at, for example, your second cousin twice removed. The further genetically distant from your potential biological relative, the lower the likelihood of accuracy because there's just not enough shared DNA to confirm a match. Um, on On another topic, because you are into forensics, can you speak a little bit about how, for example, we are now catching criminals and rapists and murderers, say, 20 years after the fact, using these DNA databases? Yes. Now, my, I can give you my personal opinion, and it, it, to me, as a forensic scientist, it's a good thing because we're able to catch criminals, whereas previously they would go un, un, uncaught. And to me, that's a tragedy. And there's a lot of issues as far as invasion of privacy and how your DNA is used. Now, I've, I've given interviews to television stations before about where the future of DNA is heading, and it's my opinion that where we're going to end up is all of this DNA is going to be um, put together in one national database. Yes. Because we, we have companies that have databases, and every company's database has a set of people who are different from the, the set that's in another company's. And then we have the FBI's database, and then we, we, we have the military's database. So all of these databases of DNA, in, in my opinion, will eventually uh, uh, come together to form one national database so that it can be used for a variety of purposes, disease control or prevention. But most importantly, from my aspect of forensics and getting back to your question, is in solving crimes. Now, we can actually take that one step further in that DNA testing will be so inexpensive that it eventually will be part of a child's birth. Wow. In other words, when a child, when a child is born. Uh, yeah, you know what? That would make absolute sense, wouldn't it? Yes. So when, it, when a child is born, they take a DNA swab, run the profile, and it goes into the national database as, with their name, their location, their DNA. That way, if that child ever grows up to commit a crime or one of their relatives commits a crime, then law enforcement has leaps and bounds way ahead as far as catching that person. Well, right now, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who are saying, oh, my gosh, what a big invasion of my privacy. Well, absolutely. You know, it's uh, but I don't think those same people are thinking about when they spit in a swab and mail it off to 23andMe or, or whoever else that they may be using. That there's really uh, – is there any way to remove your DNA from these databases if you wanted to? Yeah. Yes, it is. And that's part of the uh, terms and policies of these companies that if you send in a request to have your, your DNA profile destroyed, then they're obligated to do it. And they're not required to do that by law. There's no regulation stating that. But in the effort to promote the concerns of the invasion of privacy, the companies usually have – an internal policy where they'll destroy your DNA um, at your request. Now, keep in mind, I would always take take that with a grain of salt because your DNA profile is an, a, a literal gold mine for them as far as information. They're going to do everything they can to try to talk you out of destroying that DNA because that's that's their intellectual property is your DNA. So if you wanted now, to if you wanted to get a DNA test doctor where would you go 
Mm, uh, that's an interesting question because I, for the past 25 years, have been involved in DNA testing and doing DNA testing and evaluating it from every aspect. But me personally, I had my DNA profiled. And um, I'm, I'm still waiting and watching. Are you? And, and Yes. Uh, now, now, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so what do you think of last year, in July of last year, drug giant Glaxo, they teamed up with DNA testing company 23andMe. And there was rumor that basically 23andMe sold access to your DNA library to big pharma, you know, to the big pharmaceutical companies. What do you think about that? And that's where we get back to the DNA companies have a gold mine when they have your DNA profile because they can sell to companies that could use that, for example, Big Pharma, um, for an incredibly large amount of money. Um, now, what Big Pharma does is they they want that information to promote their business. But if you look at the big picture, it's going to be for the good of mankind because the, the drug companies will take that DNA information and they'll start designing drugs that are effective for a specific DNA profile. And I used to work in big pharma. I spent many years doing research and development for major drug companies. Wow. And the problem, the problem we run into is that we, we discover a new drug and it works great in mice and then we move it up the channel and it works great in a certain population of humans. But what we end up doing is we have one or two doses that we try to fit for everybody. Let me give you a common basic example. Aspirin, which has been around for hundreds of years, comes in a dose of 325 milligrams per tablet. Okay. Where did that number come from? Somewhat arbitrary, but does a dose of 325 milligrams of aspirin work for every single human being on the planet? No, it does not. Therefore, there's this whole science called pharmacogenetics, and that's a whole nother show. I was going to say, can. I have never heard about that, Dr. Bennett. What is it, what is it again? Yeah, pharmacogenetic testing. Pharmacogenetic and testing. That, and that's where pharmacy companies, drug companies, will take a drug and design that drug to fit the genetic profile of the patient. Wow. And so we're, doing, we're getting in the whole field of genetic medicine, and that's where the future is, using DNA in medicine and the pharmaceutical companies designing drugs that will fit the person's genetic profile. And we're seeing that today. I've, I've done a, quite a bit of work in doing genetic profiling of patients in the areas of cardiovascular disease and a whole different bunch of other areas in which I'm able to take the genetic profile of a person, look at how they metabolize drugs, and then base that drug metabolism profile on what dose should be given for that particular patient. Which would make and absolute sense if you could do that. We're doing that now. Um, on a personal level, a year ago, well, actually 14 months ago, my mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I took her off to the Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic said to me, you know, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Um, really, does she have a bucket list? And I looked at the head oncologist and said, bucket list? Uh, the woman has traveled around the world. She's been to 47 different countries, okay? Um, doesn't really have a big bucket list because she's very close to her family. She's seen everybody she wants to see. Uh, but I'm not believing that she only has uh, 6 to 12 weeks to live. Right. 
I took her to MD Anderson in Houston. Um, really some wonderful, wonderful uh, transactional researchers and oncologists and doing SBRT and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And um, here she is 14 months later, and uh, this morning she, she called to, um, to yell at me that I didn't take the trash out. So I figure she's doing pretty good, right? Good. Excellent. Uh, but in the middle of all this, one of the oncologists said to me, you know, you should get a DNA test to see if there's any mutations. Right. Because they really tailored her chemotherapy cocktail to what's going on with the P53 and everything else that was going on with her particular mutation, and it worked. Correct. Her mutation was not necessarily a K-pass mutation that you might see in pancreatic cancer, but a BRAF, which you know a lot more about this than I do. But, I I mean, I'm just a radio person, but I've learned a lot about (laughs) DNA mutations over the last year uh, because I'm her primary caregiver. And that was more akin to a melanoma. Here nor there is that the doctor recommended that, you know, I spend the $250 and I get a a full DNA analysis at color.com. And so I spend the two, three weeks later, I get an email that says, you know, we have your test results. Do you want to talk to a counselor? Which I thought was very interesting that they just don't send you a PDF and say, here you go. Um, Right. And I, you know, being what I do, I'm like, okay, just, you know, I don't need to talk to anybody. Just send me the file and yay or nay. And uh, with trepidation, I opened it up and then it came back that it was negative uh, for I don't know how many different types of DNA mutations, which doesn't mean that you're never going to get cancer, but right now there are no mutations. Right. And if you wanted additional testing, how do you feel about those type of DNA tests? And and that's probably one of the most important questions we have to address now because using a person's genetic profile to to tailor therapy or using a person's genetic profile to anticipate the uh, future of disease progression, we're in the infancy of that. So it, it has to be looked at very carefully. And that's why the company wanted to refer you to a counselor because the counselor is going to tell you the limitations of the test, <clears throat> namely that, uh, for example, if a person is positive for a mutation that is consistent with, emphasis added, having a certain disease state, that in no way, shape, or form means that you're going to get the disease. Uh, we don't want to create fear and panic in, in people when we do these genetic tests for potential disease situations. Now, let me, let me give you an example of what happened with 23andMe. On November 22, 2013, 23andMe got a warning letter from the FDA stating the company was in violation of federal law for providing DNA testing to determine disease potential. Oh, wow. And then the 23andMe backed up and went back to the drawing board. And, uh, and finally, in April of 2017, 23andMe was granted authorization by the FDA to market their DNA testing very specifically for late-onset Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and hereditary thrombophilia, and that's it, even though they were trying to market for a host of diseases. Now, just last year, 23andMe got FDA authorization to do genetic tests for certain types of cancers, specifically BRCA1 and BRCA2, genes associated with a high risk for breast cancer. Right. 
So you, you've got these companies that are trying to push the envelope with disease potential detection because it's profitable for them. And so the FDA is having to pull back as far as what's being allowed. So we're in the infancy of that. And I th- personally, I feel it's very important, and the FDA should promote it because uh, knowing your disease potential will allow you to do things to prevent it. Yes, that's For example, what, you know, that's, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, now I have um, three siblings, and the doctor told all of us to go get this genetic test. I'm the only one that did. Did you ask your siblings why they didn't? They don't want to know, they said. And I, and I said, you know, um, if I know, then I know that I can take certain precautions, maybe get additional testing, maybe find it before it finds me. Well, here's just to help you out personally, um, pancreatic cancer, there's been a recent study that's, that was published in the scientific literature that shows that pancreatic cancer is, was highly associated with the consumption of sodas. Really? In other, in other words, there was – the, the number was overwhelming to me because I was looking at, okay, with these scientific studies, I'm seeing maybe a 5 or 10% increase in pancreatic cancer associated with a certain consumption of food. But this study showed a, a phenomenal 70% increase in pancreatic cancer for people who drink sodas on a daily basis. And it wasn't, and was it diet soda or just any soda? Well, we're looking at what the cause is, and we're we're narrowing it down to high fructose corn syrup, which is not healthy. Wow, that is interesting. And and that substance is ubiquitous in our food supply. So um, I don't drink sodas anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And, and you and your siblings, for example, if you if you're prone to have a gene mutation that would make you at higher risk for pancreatic cancer, you should do simple things like never drink a soda again or anything with high fructose corn syrup. So it would it would be a good idea for your siblings to get the test so they can avoid simple things that potentially could save their life. So is there anything else that you'd like to add? Because I think we've got a lot of great stuff here, Dr. Bennett. Well, in determining ancestry and even determining some of the potentials for disease that aren't FDA approved yet, if you just can't wait for the science to catch up with the promises made, just take the results with a grain of salt. But for right now, the data is, in my opinion, for entertainment purposes only. Uh, as far as your ancestry, you might as you might get a, an accurate answer if you went to a tarot card reader at the county fair. <laughs> I think that says it just about right there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now we know. At-home DNA tests aren't always so accurate in finding your nationality. And according to a recent study by Amber Genetics, there's one more area the tests may be inaccurate in, and that's your health. Amber Genetics is a traditional clinical diagnostics company, and it says that some of these at-home DNA tests may imply to users that they're at risk for health conditions when they're actually not at risk for anything at all. So the bottom line, if you're curious, go ahead, take a DNA test. But before you disrupt the entire family because your father's not your father and your mother's not your mother and your grandmother's your baby sister on another cousin's side or whatever it may be, you might just want to dig a little bit deeper. Hey, thanks for listening. And also a special shout out and thank you goes to our guests. Lindsey Groves did a great job from 23andMe and also Dr. Robert Bennett 
What a smart guy. And thanks to all of our podcast producers. Yes, guys and gals, thanks for all your hard work. And if you liked what you heard, don't hide it. Share it. If you want more content, all you have to do is become a Kim's Club member. That's right. It's exclusive. You get an all-access pass to the Kim Commando Show. Hey, plus, your membership helps keep this broadcast on the air. 